Jesus' name, amen. So how do you worship? When I hear the word worship, I, I tend to gravitate towards the default to music, right? We just got done singing some worship songs. But is worship exclusively tied to music? I asked the high school guy, oh, the high school, high school students this morning, and they said no. They said it has to do with our gifts. It has to do with what we do each and every day to focus on God. And then I said, well, do you guys just want to preach for me? Because uh, that's what I'm talking about today. No, they didn't. Uh, I didn't give them the chance. Rule number one of youth ministry is, if you can ever avoid it, don't give a student a microphone. No. <laughs> but we have, we call this a worship service. So maybe worship is music and a message. I asked the kids, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask everybody. What does it look like to worship while somebody is talking to us? When the pastor's on stage preaching, how do we worship? Sometimes we worship by taking a holy nap. Uh, that joke went better up here. My apologies. Wow. Scratching that one off, don't use. Again, good thing we only have one service now. I, but if we did, I wouldn't use that one for a second service. Some of y'all had about as much coffee as I did this morning. But I, I recently bought a camper, which my mom said was a very grown-up thing to do, which made the house I bought a couple years ago seem <laughs> insignificant, I guess. Uh, but my dad, it, it was up in Escanaba, so a few-hour drive, so me and my dad went up one day to pick it up. And uh, My dad's band director, music guy, we're both music folks uh, and love worship music. So I had some I new artists, new groups, new songs I discovered, and I said, oh, this is going to be a great opportunity to share uh, my love of music, my love of worship music with my dad, and we, we got listening to some of the songs, some of the groups, and it inevitably led to a conversation about the current state of worship music and Christian music in general. And we talked a lot about how a lot of the worship songs, a lot of worship music and Christian music... Uh, tends to be us-centric. It tends to focus on our needs, what we can do, our responsibilities, and not as much on God, who He is, and what He does for us. So in this moment, I said something that I've been giving God credit for because it seems to be a little too profound for me to come up with on my own. But I said that I believe in order to, for a song to be a true song of worship, God must be both the object and the audience of the song. In order for a true song of worship, it, it, God must be both the object and the audience. Meaning, we have to be singing about God to God. Now, I'm, I told the high schoolers, I've been chewing on this idea for about a month now, and I'm poking, trying to poke some holes in it, trying to see if there are songs that are an exception or 
So we can have that conversation another time. But I think if it only meets one of these criteria, then it, it can still be an incredible, powerful Christian song. Uplifting, encouraging, pointing to God. But if it doesn't have both, I don't know. I don't know if it is a true song of worship. Although corporate worship is, which is what we do here on Sunday mornings, and personal worship, spending time studying, praying, reading scripture, uh, just being with God, being in the presence of Jesus, they're both vital to the Christian life. But the overarching theme in scripture seems to be that the the idea of worship isn't something we do together for an hour each week or 15 minutes in our morning or 15 minutes before we go to bed. But the overarching theme of Scripture seems to be that true worship is something that infiltrates every part of our life, every area and aspect of our life. Or as it's popularly stated, worship is a lifestyle. I think as Christians, we're supposed to adopt a lifestyle of worship. Or, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, Romans 12, oh, flip to the wrong spot. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. True worship is much bigger than a moment or a series of moments. It is more than simply spending your first waking moments talking to, learning about, or corporately together, singing to our Creator. All of it is included in worship, but not exclusive to. True worship is something lived out through moment-by-moment faithfulness. Or as you've heard me say a lot in the last year or so, moment maximization. Every moment is an, every, every opportunity, every conversation, every second of every day, is a moment to be max, to maximized. Sorry. In view of the mercies of God, none of us, not a one of us, deserve to be able to worship God. In and of ourselves, Scripture says that we're dead in our sin. But God, being a compassionate and merciful God, saved us from our deadness to sin by sending Jesus to bear the weight of our sin and take the death that we deserved in our place so that we could worship, so that we could experience the mercies of God, enjoy communion with our Creator, and to worship and glorify His name. Because of those mercies, Paul urges us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Not conforming to the world around us. Not leading our lives with what the world says we should lead our lives with. 
Not prioritizing the things that the world says we should prioritize, but by renewing our minds in order to discern or to understand what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is for us individually and corporately. If you wear the title Christian, this is the charge. In Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28, Jesus says, well, it it reads, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit somebody if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Truly I tell you, there there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Christian life will require sacrifice. We will have to give some things up. We will have to lose some things. We often talk about this is our reasonable sacrifice. And if you've not had to make any sacrifices, you may have to ask yourself, what's missing? I remember in high school when I truly gave my life to Christ, I had I'd lost a, a lot of various relationships, some that I needed to walk away from and some where people said, yeah, we're walking away from you. And now, years later, after having the benefit of hindsight, God replaced all of those broken, sin-riddled relationships with much stronger, healthier, God-centered relationships. See, God is a God who gives. He's a God who takes away. But when he replaces that which he takes away, he does so in only such a way that he can do. And we're always better because of it in the long run. A life of true worship will require sacrifices. And it will require a renewing of our minds. Which leads us to the main passage for the day, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1 and go till verse 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So if you have been raised in Christ, if you identify as a Christian, if you wear that label, if your Facebook profile says Christian, that should snag your attention. So if you've been raised with Christ, that's like, that's an attention getter. I remember middle school English, you always start with a good attention getter. Paul has several of them throughout his writings. It's kind of like me saying, all right, zero in on this. 
but a little bit more specific. So Christian, zero in on this. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Seek the things above. Renew your minds. This sounds a whole lot like something else that Jesus said. In Matthew 6, just a couple of verses, shortly after he, he's teaching, right? This is smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, see the, see the lilies? God takes care of those. See the bird? God takes care of They don't have to worry about anything. And God loves you so much more than them, so he will take care of you too. And then Jesus gives us a little bit of a command. He says, but seek first the kingdom of heaven. And his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. By renewing our minds. By setting them on the things above. By recognizing that our life is in Christ's hands we begin to live out a lifestyle of worship. I was recently had the opportunity to go whitewater rafting, which was terrifying. If you're into that sort of thing, it's a lot of fun, but if you like control and like life, maybe uh, steer clear. One of the scariest things was being... Like the guy saying, like, all right, we're about to hit this next rap. It's going to be like skull crusher if you fall out. Don't go near the rocks for obvious reasons. Um, but was, there were six other people in my boat, and I had to give them control. Because I, I have just one dude with some, one little plastic paddle. I'm not doing a whole lot. So I had to trust them in the boat and let go. And when I did that, which was about 100 yards before we got out of the raft for good, um, <laughs> I could just enjoy. I could just be. When we try to hold on to our lives, we're, we're trying to hold on to something that we were never meant to hold on to. When we worry about every waking moment, when we worry about, well, what's going to happen next week? What's, what's going to happen tomorrow? Give it to God. By renewing our minds, setting them on the things above, and recognizing that our life is in Christ's hands, not a bunch of random college students from all over the country. Christ's hands can handle some class four rapids and so much more. When we give him everything, that's when we begin to live out a lifestyle of true worship. We continue in Colossians 3, verse 5 through 11. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. 
you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Sounds familiar. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. Breaking this down into more of a list form, Paul writes that in Christ we should put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, lies, and division. Church, when we truly encounter God, when we genuinely experience His grace, there is real, authentic life change. We don't do the things we used to do. As Christians, we live differently, or we're supposed to, we're called to live differently than our unsaved neighbors. And this is just a handful of things that is incompatible with a changed heart. When we carry our cross, die to self, through the renewing of our minds and focusing on the kingdom of God, our mindset and our behavior changes. And if we've not experienced this change, again, we have to ask a tough question. Have we truly, genuinely, and authentically experienced the grace of God? I'm going to read that list one more time. But as I do, I want you to think about your relationship with each of those items. Is there something that you need to surrender to God this morning? I just said that we hold on to things that we were never meant to hold on to. As I read this list, I want you to surrender that which needs to be surrendered. Church, our God is a faithful God. He is a forgiving God. He is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to redeem. And he is faithful to restore. But we have to open our hands and give our stuff to him. If your relationship with one of these things is incompatible with this lifestyle of true worship. Give it to God this morning. So here they are one more time. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, lies, and division. Don't hold on to something that God never intended for you to hold on to. Or as Paul continues to say, put off these things. Give them to God this morning. And as we close out the passage, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, Christians zero in on this, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, 
in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalm, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul doesn't simply leave this explanation of true worship with a list of put-to-deaths. He gives us a list of put-ons as well. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, unity, love, gratitude. Dwell on Scripture and wise teaching and admonish one another through song, singing to God with gratitude. In the same way we did with the put-to-deaths, I want to reread this list one more time. And I want to ask you to evaluate your relationship with each one of these things as well. If you struggle with not exhibiting something, like let's just use the first one, compassion. So if you struggle with not exhibiting the compassion that a true life of worship that God calls us to exhibit, ask God to change your heart. Ask God to work on your heart, soften your heart. Help you see people, see things, see situations, see the world the way he does. And the same for the rest of the list. So here we go. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, unity, love. I lost my place. (laughs) Gratitude. Dwelling on scripture, wise teaching, admonishing through song, hymn, psalm, singing to God with gratitude. And finally, verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know if you're a life verse person, if you have a life verse, if you don't, This is a great one. Everything we do. One of my favorite thought questions to ask, and you've heard me ask it up here, is this. Is your faith the filter through which you interact with the world? Or is the world your filter through which you interact with your faith? A true lifestyle of worship means that whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. Whether you're at work, you're at home, you're at the grocery store, you're camping, you're fishing, you're knitting, whatever you do. When we submit our lives to Christ, it isn't simply something that changes an hour for us on Sunday mornings. It isn't something something that simply changes how we start or end our day. It's something that changes every moment of every day. It renews our minds. It changes our behavior. A lifestyle of true worship has God as both the object and the audience of our everyday lives. Yes, we interact with the world. In the world, not of the world, right? But our heartbeat is to worship our Creator every day and throughout our day, moment by moment faithfulness, to do what God has called us to do, putting to death the desires of our flesh and putting on the things 
of God. And calling back to Romans, which we started with, we do this in light of the mercies of God. We do this because of what he's done for us. And today we have the opportunity to celebrate those mercies through communion. I didn't mark this one, so bear with me. We're going to be uh, just real quick in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We partake in communion in remembrance of Christ and what he did for us by sacrificing himself for us. We do so in reflection of what Jesus did for us all those years on the cross, rising from the dead, securing our salvation, an eternal relationship with God. And as we do each month here at Brown Corners Church, we celebrate. We partake in communion and we remember. The Lord's Supper is all about remembering. But in addition to that, it's also about looking forward and as Paul encourages us to look within. We look forward eagerly anticipating what's to come. Christ will return. And he will finish the work that he started 2,000 years ago. We look within, as Paul encourages us, and examine our hearts so we don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. This is why we say at Brown Corners Church that you don't have to be a member to partake, but you have to be a believer in Christ. You have to be a follower of Christ. Not to be exclusive, but I love how our fellow youth pastor says it. He says, the Lord's table is open to everyone, but the table is in the dining room. And believing faith in Jesus followed by baptism is the front door. You need to enter through the door to sit at this table, and the door is wide open. As we prepare to partake, we need to understand what the Lord's Supper is, and it's simply an invitation to look back, to look forward, and to look within. And when we do that, when we genuinely look back, when we genuinely look forward, and when we genuinely look within, we see Jesus. We see what he's done for us. We see what he's doing, what he's going to do. We see Jesus, and that's the only thing. He is what makes us worthy. So this morning, let's take a moment to reflect, to remember, to partake. And in a moment, I'll pray, and then you'll see the flow of everyone partaking. There's gluten-free options in the middle. The baskets are for benevolence. You don't have to pay to partake. But if you want to, that money goes in-house to people in our family, in the BCC family with needs. 
But as Paul encourages, I'm going to give you a moment to examine your heart, to handle your business with God, and to pray silently before partaking. Then I'll pray, and then everyone can partake. So handle your business with God. Examine your hearts. God, we are so grateful for who you are. Gracious, compassionate, merciful. So much so that you sent Jesus to die so that we could have a way. So that we could have truth. So that we could have life. And I just pray that as we partake in communion, that we look back and we remember the sacrifice that it took to get you. And we look forward to the return of Christ. God, we look within as we seek day by day, moment by moment, to be like you, God. We just humbly ask for you to change our hearts in the ways that they need changed. Give us your eyes, God, to see the world, to see the people the way you do. God, we need you. Forgive us for not recognizing that, not acknowledging that, and not always living like that. Again, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this church body. Thank you for leading and guiding us and, and continue to do so as we leave this place today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
ask you to stand with us as we sing this again. Sing, Lord, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other bounds I know. It's nothing but the Sing, oh, pray. 
thankful church. Father, we ask you to go with us and go before us this week. Father, help us in everything that we do, everything we say, Father. Bring glory and honor to your name. Amen. Bless you. We love you.